and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. After a six-month hiatus, we are back at the start of season five of the podcast. It was a little dicey there over the summer. I became a dad, but we figured out a way. We got a new producer in town, Brian. We got we got a social media, uh, a social media manager in Rachel. And we have a big full team to join me and Rob on the podcast to really bring you great content throughout this Villanova season all the way through. And we're super excited to be back with you today. Isn't that right, Rob? Uh, That is absolutely right. I hope everybody enjoyed my favorite episode of the season, which was the 40s, which we always do. Oh, just kidding. We didn't actually do that, but we said we were going to. But yes, it's good to be back. We promise you content's going to be coming at you regularly. It's going to be coming at you fast and furious. Great movie franchise. If you haven't seen it, I know there are people out there who haven't. You got to check it out. It's a good one. But anyway, back to the topic at hand, Villanova basketball. Let's fucking get into it. That's the first first fuck of the season. Let's go. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So it is Saturday. Jesus. It is Wednesday, September 29th. This podcast will be probably released this weekend. Um, we just interviewed CJ Holmes from The Athletic yesterday. That'll be on the second part of the podcast. Should take up most of the podcast. Rob and I just wanted to take 15 minutes right now and just do like a recap of everything that's happened in the last six months because it's been quite an eventful covid summer um, of the program and a lot's happened and we need to cover a lot of ground. So is let's it, make up a lot of ground really fast. Is it, is it even a 2020 year if it isn't COVID? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> 2020, 2021, it's yeah, all kind exactly. of the same thing. Um, all right. So rapid fire, lightning round, what happened? Let's do it. Rob, I'm going to go first with Jeremiah Robinson Earl declares for the draft and gets drafted in the second round and goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. A big one that came, I think, shortly thereafter, which we'll talk a lot about, the return of two very prominent players, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels. They're back, ladies and gentlemen, and they're just getting started, sort of. I want to I talk real quick about that. Obviously, a lot has been written around first team, all Big East, co-player of the year, Colin Gillespie. Obviously, Jermaine as well. Who is the bigger actual return? Like, which ma- which makes which is the bigger thing to happen for Villanova basketball this year? Is there a world in which it's Jermaine? In my mind, no. It's Colin because he is, as you just described and noted, the reigning co-biggies player of the year. When you're returning that, that's going to be your best impact player, and the fall off from him to Justin Moore, is significant. Yes, Justin Moore is a great player. Yes, we love him. But we're talking about Colin, steady playmaking, steady shooting, good decisions all around, to Justin, 
I'm just going to attack the hoop and take some shots more. I'll take Colin every day. Wins above replacement goes to Colin in my mind. One person you just brought up, which is Justin Moore, because CJ Holmes just wrote an article and it was all about Justin Moore, which is a great piece. You got to read it. Um, and obviously CJ's on the second part of the podcast, but we didn't talk about this with him, which is that we like Justin Moore was like, oh, I, I'm working on my aggressiveness. <laughs> I was like, I don't like, Stop. I really need to be a killer this Stop. year. And I'm like, I don't think you need to. I think you got that. I think, I think we got the message in the first two years of you at the program. Hence, we invented the pass the fucking ball award of the week. Absolutely. And, and so I think Justin Moore needs to be a killer. And I love that about him. And I want him to really exude that mentality, but he's got to do it in a way that makes everyone else more killerish, if you will. Yes, 100%. I don't know who signed off on his offseason plan, but uh, it didn't get proofread. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so I'm actually going to push back a little bit, though, on what you said. I think that the drop-off from Jermaine to the next guy behind Jermaine is a little bit steep. I think the wins above replacement, if you will, I don't have the statistics to back that, back that up, but I think the, the wins above replacement for Jermaine is more significant than Justin. This is a team, I mean, than uh, Colin. Uh, to Justin, this is a team that without Colin Gillespie made the sweet 16 and lost to the eventual national champion last year. And this is a team that lost its best front court player in Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a piece in which Jermaine Samuels is going to have to pick up some of the load around the hoop. So I'm of the opinion that Jermaine coming back was actually a bigger boon, even though Colin is a co reigning co biggies player of the year. I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. I did run the numbers. Collins wins above replacement was a four. Jermaine is a two. <laughs> so I guess I'm right. Those are, those, are not, those are not real numbers, just to be clear. <laughs> like most of the numbers we throw around here, they're just, they're just not real. Well, a lot um, of fake news on the podcast. A lot of fake news on the podcast, that's for sure. All right. Cole Swider transfers to Syracuse. See you. Cole Swider's my, gone. Yeah, Cole Swider's gone. In my mind... A little bit of addition by subtraction, but I but I don't want to hate on Cole like as a player, as a as a as a person, hard worker, Illinois basketball guy, etc. All that great. I think he found a perfect fit in Syracuse, so I don't I don't blame him. But like you know, I hope he does well there, except against us. So just a point I wanted to point there, but I think that we're probably better off without Cole. He did not grasp the switching defense concept well. And he just really struggled to move laterally. That's not his fault. It's just who he is. <laughs> uh, but the lateral movement was critical. And getting to play, uh, getting to play defense in a in a scheme where you stay in one spot is seems pretty perfect for him. I have to agree with that last point. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. Cole Swider's gone. Another guy that is now just as of taping off the active roster. Dada is officially gone from retiring from Villanova basketball. Definitely a kind of a sad way to go out. Obviously great contributor to the program, huge contributor to the 2018 title. Good thing is seems like he'll be sticking around the program in some respect or another, but anyway, that's fresh off the press. Back to you. I want to talk a little bit about Jay Wright. I'm going to bring who's, up one Jay Wright that? thing. Who is that? Jay Wright. <laughs> I don't know who he is, but he uh, is a gold medalist. Uh, having spent a lot, a significant portion of his summer in Tokyo as the assistant coach to Greg Popovich, 
and the gold medal winning USA basketball team. Exciting stuff there for Jay Wright. It is indeed the Jay Wright narrative and biography just keeps getting stronger. Um, all right. So moving on from Jay Wright, we had um, kind of an, an interesting off season for a number of our guys in that they had to deal with a number of car accidents, concussions, like some other recent injuries too, a whole host of things. We had a couple guys were in a car accident. Keep me honest on the names, um, on the players involved. They were dealing with concussions for a while. Uh, Brian Antoine just recently diagnosed with uh, patella tendon issue. So he's going to be out for a while. So while it was nice to be able to have everybody back practicing this summer, doesn't seem like we had a lot of continuity that we're going to be able to totally benefit from coming in on day one. Is it going to be better than 2020? Absolutely. Would you have loved to have the whole team there the whole summer for all the practices? Yes, of course. And it doesn't look like we've quite got that this year. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. You got to feel for Antoine um, having another injury setback. It doesn't seem like it's going to be anything season ending or, or requiring surgery, but perhaps there's a chemistry benefit there because it gives some other guys an opportunity to get some minutes early. Um, we're very loaded in the, in the guard wing space this year. So, you know, maybe that gives a guy, another guy an opportunity to get some minutes. The, the other thing too, uh, that you didn't mention, but, but I'm sure is part of your list is, is Caleb Daniels got COVID back in last January. And we learned over the summer that he had suffered from some long COVID symptoms um, and was dealing with that, which the program now says he has since fully cleared and he is, and he is, uh, and he's clear from and is back to full strength. So that's big. Obviously Colin didn't have a full summer because half of his summer was spent recovering. Now he's back and says he's a hundred percent. Um, you mentioned Brandon Slater, there's concussion, there's car accidents, crazy summer there. Really? Um, yes. it really is just like a crazy turn of events. I don't understand how all of this stuff happened. Um, sticking with what happened though, this is an underrated thing that took place. Kyle Neptune takes the head coaching position, obviously had to takes a head coaching position at Fordham, uh, and is now the coach of the Fordham Rams. That is a big hit to our coaching program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the questions that came in our mailbag. So you don't want to hit that now, or do you want to hit that when we go through a mailbag, Chris? I mean, we can hit it now. We can just talk on like, what's the impact and uh, what was the exact question? I think it was like, how big a loss is Kyle Neptune? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot, but I'm not sure it's going to be felt as much this year. Um, reason I say that is we're returning a ton of senior leadership. Um, it, all the guys have been in the program. They kind of know the drill. Uh, so I feel like the people who are going to miss having Kyle Neptune around are the underclassmen. Uh, we have a big freshman class. They don't seem, I'm like, and this is another question that we'll get into, but I don't think this is going to have, they're going to have a huge impact on our on the court performance this year, other than, you know, how well they help the other guys in practice. So with that being said, I think that Kyle Neptune would have, having him here would have been a big help to those guys. 
but the other guys have spent multiple years in the program and I think are now seasoned well enough to know the drill. So, you know, that's the benefit of having Colin and Jermaine. Jay Wright kind of gets fortunate there by having Colin and Jermaine and Justin and, and all these guys who have been in the program for so long, be able to kind of keep that continuity uh, going and know how the program is supposed to be run, even without him or Kyle Neptune for a significant portion of the summer. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's all well and good, but there's a difference between having a, a player who's a leader and having a coach who's a leader. And Kyle Neptune was the last remaining assistant from the 2016 team, so there's a ton of continuity there. And like we're talking about two very different things. Like, yeah, Jake can call the plays, and he knows he's got smart players on the floor who know the system. Like, assistant coaches do a lot more than, and a lot do, obviously do a lot different things than executing on the floor what the players are doing and I have to imagine part of that the administrative burden part of that actual team management side of things is going to be different for Jay this year and I'm guessing that he's going to have to be spending more of his time with his assistant coaches than he did previously because he could probably hand off a lot of that duty to Kyle Neptune and prior to that to Ashley Howard and Baker Dunleavy before that as well too so those were guys that he had clearly trusted. It's not to say that we don't have competent assistant coaches this year, but they're just a little bit earlier on in their coaching journey. And I have to imagine Jay's going to have to spend more time and more mind share with those guys than he would in previous years. And I do think that will come to bear on the season at some point in one way or another, whether you see it on the court or not, things are going to be shifting in the background. And to your point, Jay was, as we just alluded to, spent a significant portion of his summer in Tokyo, not around the guys, leaving it to George Halkovich and some of the other assistants to help kind of run the show. So, yeah, I'm interested to see. And on top of everything else, we mentioned that inconsistent summer where some of the guys had, you know, fits and starts with everything going on. You know, what what is what is the reality of the team that we see on the court day one when we face off with Mount St. Mary's probably going to beat them up pretty good, but second game is uh, at 11 30 PM on a Friday against UCLA. Yeah. Um, that's going to be an interesting matchup real early in the season against a team that was a final four team. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into, we've got a good interview coming up with CJ. So let's jump into, should we hit some mailbag questions? Yeah. Let's hit the mailbag. One for one, final thing that I just wanted to hit was Jay Wright made the hall of fame, which I think we pretty good. It's we shouldn't have glossed good. over that one too bad, but, um, but I think that was worth mentioning. <laughs> just a, just a minor detail at this point. It was, it was real mere formality. It was. Uh, um, all right. So let's jump into the mailbag. So we've got a lot of, a lot of great questions actually. Um, one of the ones I liked right off the bat, it said, will Jay finally bring the suits back? And I think my follow-on question, are you a suit Jay Wright or are you a track suit Jay Wright? What do you think? I think it's tech pants is the technical term. Track suit, tech pants, whatever. I, um, I, I'm clearly not in the know. I, I, we're not, I'm obviously not calling them tech pants. So. Look, I'm a suit Jay Wright guy. Um, I think he looks great on the sidelines. I think you'll see him dress down a little bit more. I think he'll find opportunities to do that dress down look a little bit. But I think we need Jay back in the suits. I think there's something that's like, there's a normalcy to that. I think that makes people feel at home. That makes people feel safe. 
And I think we need that in 2021, 2022. Bill that's, that's what I was clamoring for. Jay right in a suit is going to make me feel safe. That's anyway, right. that's right. We need some safe. We're in, we a new, safe. we're in a new normal right now. I think you're going to see more tech pants, track suits across the board this year in college basketball. I do not think that trend is going away. While Jay looks great in a suit, a lot of coaches do not. And for that reason, I think there are going to be a lot of coaches reaching out and saying, Hey, Jay, you mind if we uh, dress down this game? And he's going to say, oh, yeah, I'm a good coach. I like to make everybody happy. We'll do some tech pants today, whatever the fuck you want to call them. It's all good. So I think, we're gonna see, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. And I'm okay with that because 2021 is all about embracing that. So go for it. Be a trendsetter, Jay. Does Jay have to wear masks on the sidelines this year? Because he was pretty bad at that last year. I mean, I hope not. It was an absolute joke last year. Take, <laughs> just take it off the yell. I'm like, that's that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> so hopefully not. All right. Um, we got a couple questions around um, recruiting. Um, and here's what we know. We know that Mark, Arm- Mark Armstrong, um, who's kind of a combo guard, committed uh, several weeks back, um, which is a big get for four-star recruit. Yeah. Kind of climbing up the climbing up the ranks too, by the way. Like as that happened, uh, you know, I forget exactly what number he was at when around the time he committed. But then ESPN came out right away, and he was like top thirty all of a sudden. Yeah. So big time get there. Um, and then Brendan Housen, and this one's interesting because he's from Texas, and we were not in on him early. Most of the guys you talk yeah. to, um, they say, oh, you know, Villanova just made me feel like they were family, and we were, and I was just, I'd known them forever. Um, and what have you. No, Villanova swooped in late with this guy. He's a sharp shooter and they swooped in late and they said, Hey, we'd love to you to come here, etc." And he is just absolutely bought in. He was just like, yeah, I want to go hundred percent. And I think that is a pretty damn good sign for the program. Um, and especially you mentioned, are we going to miss Kyle Neptune? One of his biggest things was on recruiting um, and being able to use our program and our name strength to go get some guys. Uh, that we previously relied so heavily on our assistant coaches on, not to say we didn't for, 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 for housing either, but that's a huge benefit to our ability to keep this program rolling. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, definitely a nice start to 2022 recruiting. Hopefully some more guys will fall in line as well, but definitely just continuing to reload with a few guys that, you know, really check a lot of the boxes with what we're looking for. Look out. Look Look out, it could be a great day to be a Wildcat pretty soon. And of course, I'm talking about recruiting in Cam Whitmore. A lot of the crystal balls, I'm reading it online. A lot of the crystal balls say Villanova's the choice. I'm interested to see what happens. I think we're going to find out pretty soon. Cross your fingers. but The fingers are crossed. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. All right. So that's enough on recruiting the youngins, if you will. Um, all right. What do we got next? I think we stick a little bit with youngins, the, the, the recent recruits, the now freshmen. Yeah. We kind of, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Will a freshman impact our ability to win games? I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with, (laughs) I'm going to go with hard. No, basically zero impact on our games. I think it's going to be tough and we'll get into this more with CJ later. I think it's going to be tough for most of these freshmen to even crack the rotation. Different story if Colin and Jermaine didn't come back, but they did. So we've just reloaded. And 
frankly, if I'm one of the freshmen, I'm probably sitting there saying, ooh, I thought I was going to get a couple more minutes because they were leaving. So that's definitely going to shake things up. I think you'll probably see one, maybe two of them get some regular minutes, but I don't see those minutes being in crunch time. I don't see a huge breakout guy there, like a Sadiq Bey who's filling the role. That's just not what we're going to need the freshmen to do this year. I tend to agree. If any of those guys show like a lot of toughness, so like a, a Josh Hartness to them, a a, uh, a Sadiq Bayness to them, etc. You could see someone break in. Um, if I had to guess, those guys would be one of the Nana Njoku's or the. That's um, true, actually. Yeah, Njoku is good, especially with Dada coming out. That's a fair point. Trey Patterson has been here for half a year, and then um, and then Jordan Longino. I mean, I'm interested to see what happens with the with these guys. But all right, that was I, a terrible answer. You just like contradict no, yourself a hundred no, times. No, no, terrible, no, 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 terrible, terrible. No, hard answer. No. They are not going to have a big impact on their ability to win games. Stick to it. Good. Perfect. Love it. All right. What do we have? What do we have next? Where will Nova rank in the AP preseason poll? And my answer, I'll take this and say, I'll take it a little bit further too. I think the first, I think preseason poll five-ish, something like that. I think even the early weeks, it's going to be five, 10. We'll probably drop to 15 at some point. We'll pick up some silly losses along the way and i think we'll end up sorting out probably in that five to ten range by the end of the year too it's interesting um i tend to agree with where you start i think four or five i think a lot of villanova fans might be thinking oh top three here we go like i I think the media is going to find reasons some of the some of the bigger programs to like the uclas of the world to jump and be in that top three um, so I think we're going to be four or five, if I had to guess, then I do b- agree that we're going to take some lumps in the early, in the non-conference schedule, which will probably knock us down a peg, maybe just outside the top 10, but the big East is very winnable this year in terms of like winning a ton of games, like 18 and two, we got to see how the season plays out, but 18 and two is not like a crazy suggestion right now. No, 16 and four is not a crazy suggestion. You just wrap up, rack up 16 wins over the course of like the two and a half months of the big East. um, And you're going to end up in the top five, just because like, you're going to have like five, six losses going into March. So like final AP poll, like five, six loss team in the big East with the, with the out of conference schedule that we had probably keeps us in the top five, six, seven. Um, so where do we end up? Like probably a one or a two seed in the NCAA tournament. I think it's just kind of like a given that that's kind of how it should, you know, should go. Of course you could lose some dumb games, but with the, with the experience level of this team, like that any dumb loss is a really, is a really terrible loss. Like even more than like other Villanova teams of yesteryear, where like, okay, but you had to integrate some new guys and some guys didn't show up all the time. Like, no, there's no excuse. Like, like four of the guys playing have played a ton of minutes in this program. Like they got to win all the easy games. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You I can't just I... like lose to Temple or some bullshit like that. Like that's not, that's not okay this year. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. All right. I think that hit most of our, our mailbag topics and some of them I think we'll sprinkle in a little bit with some of our conversation with CJ. So 
We love the mailbag. We love the enthusiasm we were getting from the fans. We'll try to be doing it more often. Even if we're not doing it, definitely just keep hitting us up. Give us the ideas. Tell us what you want to hear. We will respond to it and we'll make it a great pod. If you love give, the, give the people what they want. That's right. That's right. Um, so obviously this is just a primer on the flip side of the break here. We're talking to CJ Holmes. He's a writer for the athletic. He is the beat reporter for the full Philadelphia big five, but he does a ton of work around Villanova. He knows where his bread is buttered. He spends a lot of time with the Villanova program. He's great. Um, he came into the, he came around the program starting last year in the COVID year and the amount of inroads that he's made so quickly is, is really impressive. And I think he's a real up and comer writer. Um, and I'm really excited to have him on the beat and I hope he's with us for a long time. Um, so we got him on the pod. We've been talking to him over the course of last year. We're unable to find the right scheduling moment for him. We got him start the season. He's going to help us do a primer, a full primer for the season to come on the second part of the podcast. In the meantime, looking for advertisers. If you are a business around Villanova or around places where Villanova students go, we would love to have an advertisement and put them on the podcast. We do not make money right now. We have to cover some additional expenses that we just picked up. We would love to have advertisements. In addition to that, I'd ask our listeners, we will be coming out with a donation page you want to donate to the podcast all the donation monies are going to go obviously first to covering all expenses rob and i would love to pocket a couple bucks from the podcast but that's not really what we're in it for this is a hobby we love this we love villanova basketball we love bringing you great villanova content and we have some expenses to pay uh so that's that's the only reason why we're really asking for the donations and more will come out of that through our social media pages check out facebook twitter and Instagram at the full 40 uh, for more information. Okay, Rob, I think that that's all we had on the first half of the podcast. Stick so. with us, CJ Holmes after the break and two or three more episodes before the season tips in early November. So stick with us at the full 40. Thanks for listening and catch you on the flip side of the break. See you later. It's Chris from the Full 40 with Chris and Rob. We have with us a very special guest, CJ Holmes. CJ, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me, y'all. Um, and so a little background on CJ. CJ is a writer for The Athletic. He is the beat reporter for Villanova. Um, and he has done a great job in the last year plus, despite kind of just working through the pandemic um, obviously I loved his text throughout all last year, checking into work, which is just basically like looking at his television. Uh, but he was super pumped when he got to go to a couple of Villanova, uh, Villanova games at the Finn. Um, so CJ, it's great to have you. And I'm sure you're looking forward to actually covering Villanova in person this year. Yeah, I really am. Uh, last year was definitely an experience, you know, having to move cross country in the middle of a pandemic, you know, you know, I'm not just a Villanova beat writer now I'm a big five beat writer and having 
headway into you know five different programs with no in-person access was uh, definitely a tough task. But uh, I hung in there. I feel like I learned a lot, not only about you know Villanova basketball, but you know Philadelphia college basketball as a whole. And you know I'm just hoping that this year we can get back to some uh, resemblance of normalcy, and you know I can do the job the way it's meant to be done. And what's crazy about the Big Five thing? Is that is that there are five schools in the same general vicinity that couldn't be more different? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, uh, I, I didn't get, I, I haven't been able to get out to a Sal game yet. I believe that's the only Big Five school where I did not attend a home game last year. Not but you know, but you know, going from you know up on the main line at Villanova to you know down at Temple to oh and Penn I haven't been to a game at Penn yet I haven't been in the Palestra I haven't stepped foot in that building Ooh. yet so I'm excited about that Ooh, that's a good one but just from the schools I did get to attend home games last year you know Villanova Temple and St Joe's they're all very different you know when you're hanging around campus they're all like different vibes you know and they're all special and unique in their own way. You know, I remember the athletic asked me, you know, so what do you want to do now that the athletic Arizona is no longer a thing? And I was like, hey, uh, I'd, I'd love to cover their NBA. So, and then a day or two later, they're like, all right, well, that's cool and all, but you're going to go cover the big five. <laughs> Basically the same time. Uh, so, you know, I was like, and I was like, which schools are in the big five? And they were like, you know, Villanova, LaSalle, Penn, St. Joe's and Temple. I didn't even know Villanova was in the Philadelphia area. Wow. <laughs> it's like Auburn. Wow. Right? It's like Auburn. I blame that like... on Villanova. I don't blame it on you. That's true. I don't blame you for that. I really want to just know, like, you spend time in the Auburn program, and you spend time now, obviously, covering Villanova and the Big Five in general, but just Villanova podcast, so, you know, the rest of the Big Five can go to hell. <laughs> Tell me a little bit, like, what was different, or what have you seen that's different whatever it may be, same about the two programs? So much, uh, really? so much. Uh, not even sure where to start. You know, I was at Auburn kind of, I straddled the, the two sides of two different regimes. I played my first two years with coach Tony Barbie and I played my last year with uh, Bruce Pearl. I didn't play my senior year because I wanted to focus on journalism. My first two years of Auburn at Auburn, you know, from an on-court standpoint, I mean, they were, they were rough. Um, at times I felt like the team didn't have a lot of buy-in. Um, you know, we had guys, you know, who had their own agendas. We had guys who weren't taking care of business off the court. Um, even though I was a walk-on, you know, I can say that, you know, even I could have done more to <laughs> contribute to the success of our program. Because here's the thing, y'all. Every college basketball team in the country, especially at the Division I level, has talent. All of these guys were dominant in high school. You know, a handful of these guys were highly rated recruits. But the difference between the teams that have success and the teams that experience failure, it's the little things. It's it's putting in putting up extra shots when no one's watching it's taking care of your business in the classroom it's you know care carrying yourself of pride on and off the court and I'm not saying we didn't have guys in the program at the time I was in there that weren't doing that but it just wasn't enough even with that in coach Pearl's first year we still struggled because 
you can't change a culture overnight. A culture is developed over the course of years. Sometimes I would say probably just winning. You need to prove that it works, right? Like sometimes you need to pull off a couple wins. And, you know, although I haven't spent too much intimate time with the Villanova program, from everything I've seen so far and everything I've heard, that's what it is. That's what they've built. That's what Jay Wright's built on the main line. Guys come there and they know they're going to be held to a certain standard. Um, guys are unselfish. Guys know they're going to play a certain way, no matter who's brought in the latest recruiting class. Guys just think and act a certain way. And, you know, that's why Jay Wright's been able to have so much success at Villanova because he runs a tight ship and there's no room for deviation. Um, when I look at a program like Villanova, you know, I, you know, I'm a beat writer, right? Got to be, got to be, uh, got to be fair and unbiased. But I mean, I think it's undeniable that it's, 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 it's a, it's an example of everything that's right in college basketball. You know, I, over the last, you know, couple of days alone, I've talked to, you know, a couple of recruits and, you know, and I've talked to recruits over the past year and they all say the same thing. So, you know, when Villanova goes out there and they have that success, you know, I'm not surprised in the slightest, you know, the difference between the bottom dwellers and the elite is consistency in character. It's consistency in work ethic. It's consistency in focus. Do you, do you have to go through Jay Wright media training when you start covering the team? Because I feel like, <laughs> to Chris's point earlier about you getting Villanova, I feel like I just heard, I heard like Jay in, a, in my, on my Zoom call right now. That was, <laughs> look, that was great. Look, look, man, if I had a dollar for every time a Villanova player said, yeah, man, we're just going to go out there and play Villanova basketball for a full 40 minutes, I'd be a very rich man. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Hence the name of the podcast. No, no training here from Villanova. Uh, I'm just speaking facts. I'm just speaking facts. You know, if it wasn't true, trust me, I'd be the first one to refute it. But the evidence is undeniable. I've talked to so many people in and around the program over the past year. It's all consistent. I've talked to people outside of the program and it's all consistent. So let's transition. Because we thought a lot about that. Let's talk about this year of Villanova basketball. And first things first, you said that we were going to lose two games in the non-conference schedule. I mean, come on. What's up with predictions, that? man? Like, <laughs> like, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I have faith in this year's Villanova team, but I can't sit here and say, when you look at how treacherous that non-conference yeah. schedule is, and knowing that sometimes it takes this team to get kicked in the ass a little bit to, you know, make the right adjustments and, you know, get it going a little bit. I mean, I just say, I just don't think they can get through this non-conference schedule and skate. And that wouldn't be the worst thing. No, no, no. Better to lose early than later. Yeah. I think, I think Chris and I, I think Chris and I are on different pages here. I'm with you. No, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. And I want to get into the non-conference schedule a little bit because you wrote a great article on that. And I wanted to just give you a little bit of a hard time, uh, but it's hard to not to point to a, few, a couple losses in the non-con. I think we're in the same, I think we're on the same page, generally speaking. I got to look deeper at it. I got to think about it a little bit more. I got to read up on what happens in October as we go into, um, as we lead into the season. But I, I, generally speaking, I think, that, I think that you're probably on the right track. And I would probably say 
that that would be a good thing. Jay's teams generally over the years, 15 years of following the program, always do better after losing a couple games early on. But maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't have lost. Jay seems to be a good coach out of losses. Um, but we'll get into that. I want to talk first about for very first point that you wrote, like the, the question of the day for the Villanova team this year is what is going to happen with the front court? Um, and I really like couldn't agree more. Obviously, you could argue that there was a deficit in the front court last year. And that's with having an All-American in Jeremiah Robinson Earl on the roster, who then went on to get drafted um, in the NBA draft. Uh, and everyone talked about Mr. Fundamental. I think Steve Lavin called him like he was just always like just a guy who did everything right on the court and off the court. Um, hard worker, great moves, um, really had a lot to his game. Maybe in some ways not a traditional front court player, like a full front court player, like maybe like more of a three or four in the NBA. Mm -hmm. um, but losing him, where do you even start? So I'd like to just get a little bit more of your feel like can this team even be a final four team an elite eight team let alone a national championship team with the with the with the dearth of depth in the front court i think so um because you know mainly i just think villanova's backcourt is just that good you know it's among the best in the country right. you know you got the reigning co-biggies player of the year coming back and uh, colin gillespie you know, you got you got a guy like Caleb Daniels, who's a stud at Tulane now in his second year with Villanova. You know, you're expecting him to take another step. Um, you know, you got Justin Moore, who I think is oozing, you know, all conference potential this year. I think, you know, you know, if Justin plays his cards right, he might be gone after this year. I'm talking like a, a, maybe a first round talent. Right. And then, you know, we, we saw a lot of Chris Archie Diakono at the end of last year, you know. With Colin back, I'm not sure, you know, what his role will be this year. But, you know, I think, and, you know, a lot of fans have given me so much crap, you know, in the comment section for this, you know, with my stories. But I think he's solid. I mean, this kid is on scholarship for a reason. You know, Jay Wright brought him here for a reason. And I don't think it was to just gather dust on the bench for four years. I think that Chris proved that at the very least he can be a serviceable point guard, you know, in the big East, you know, the kid came in there, he played with confidence, you know, he took care of the basketball and made scrappy plays defensively. That's what you love to see. But, you know, the big question mark is Brian Antoine. You know, we just talked to Jay Wright today. Um, another injury for Brian, um, Patel attendant um out indefinitely although you know the way coach Wright was kind of you know kind of pay attention to his mannerisms I don't think that this is going to be an injury that keeps Brian out you know too long you know he's I, I'm just figuring he'll be back for the season opener but you know that's a guy with so much untapped potential former McDonald's All-American go on YouTube look at his highlights this dude is jumping out the gym running in transition knocking down threes like you know <laughs> dunking on dudes heads yeah and sure. that untapped potential when healthy is scary and he's another guy who now has another finally has finally he's a guy who finally has a full offseason under his belt and you know if he can stay healthy that's the big thing with him yeah. <laughs> i mean he's another guy where the sky's the limit so with all that said i think Vill villanova is gonna be just fine in the backcourt 
I got to harp on this a little bit. I got to push on this a little bit more. So look, Villanova, for as long as Jay Wright's been there, has had excellence in the backcourt. Just absolute excellence. You think back to 06 um, and then all the way until the most recent dynasty that they've created here in the Big East. And the backcourt's always been good. But the difference maker, the, the, the teams that broke through to the final four, in 09, you had Dante Cunningham. In 2016, you had Daniel Oshefu mm-hmm. and Dow Reynolds. D-Ray, please don't, don't get mad at us. We, we called you out. And in 18, you had Omari Spellman and Eric Pascal. The teams that broke through, made it to the final four, made it to the national championship, won the, won the title, had an elite, not even just a serviceable, an elite big man up front. So I'm going to push on you a little bit and say, how can Villanova overcome that? Do the players that we have on the roster, the Dixon, the Njokus, do the, do the other guys have what it takes to be that role and fill that, and fill that void? I think it's possible, but no one player can do it alone, right? It's going to have to be production by committee. Mm-hmm. Starting with a guy like Jermaine Samuels, fifth-year senior, been there, done that. He's seen it all. He's going to be relied upon heavily for this team, not only on the glass, but, you know, to anchor them defensively in, in the post. He's going to be relied on to, you know, get leaned up against and, you know, having a wall up against some of these, you know, big men in the Big East this season. And I think he's proven that he's more than capable, right? But Jermaine can't do it alone. You know, from all the conversations I've had with, you know, coaches this offseason, the guy they are expecting to take the biggest leap is Eric Dixon, former four-star recruit, um, top 100 kid. And, you know, a lot of people look at Eric and they're like, well, he didn't play much last year. You know, he looked confused out there at times. And overall, you know, he just wasn't all that productive. And I, I agree. I can't deny that. But at the same time, I can't deny his natural gifts. The kid's a unicorn. He brings a skill set that no other big on the Villanova roster brings. You know, he, he's he, – he, I don't want to compare him to an Eric Pascal because Eric was much more – you know, had more perimeter skills. Eric right? was just an athletic in, – in, 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 he's insane. Dixon, Dixon, Dixon can step out though. He can hit at least a, at least a mid-range jumper with some consistency. And he took he took a number of threes last year in his limited playing time. So he's not afraid to shoot it. And that's what I'm saying. You know, the, the kid can step out. He's his footwork is good enough to be a mismatch at the offensive end. Um, when I think of the way Villanova likes to incorporate the pick and roll into their offense, I mean Eric is ideal for that. The guy can roll to the rim. He, he's big and brawny. You know, he, he can finish over the trees or he can pick and pop, knock down a three. I think that he has the ability to give Villanova a level of versatility. I'm not, I, I don't want to say on par with Jeremiah Robinson, or it's not what I'm saying, but I'm <laughs> saying he can bring a lot of the same things to the table, right? But it's all based on how well Eric developed this offseason. From everything I've heard, Eric has had a phenomenal offseason. He's got stronger. He's dropped, you know, dropped some more of that baby fat. And he's a lot more in tune with, you know, the Villanova program and what they're trying to accomplish out there on the court. And when people kind of, you know, point to his lapses that last year, why he couldn't stay on the court, 
I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, he was with the program for a year, you know, as a red shirt, you know, developing, right? But sitting out a red shirt season and being thrown into game action, you know, that's tough, especially considering when the entire offseason was wiped out because of COVID. Eric has now had a full offseason under his belt. Like I said, he, he, he's stronger. Um, he's playing with more confidence from everything I've heard. And I think if Villanova is going to make up for the loss of Jeremiah Robinson Earl's production, he's going to have to be a big reason why. Another guy who's going to have to take another step forward, obviously, is Brandon Slater, a guy who's been around the program for a while. I was talking with Coach Halkovich a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, when you talk about that offseason wiped out from COVID, that probably hurt Brandon the most um, out of everyone on the roster. Mm -hmm. So, again, another guy who's who's even more familiar now, another year in the program who showed flashes last year that he can be a big-time contributor. I mean, those dunks he was throwing down at the end of the year, I was just like, yo, where did that come from? Where's that been, right? And, but, you know, offense aside, where Brandon's going to make his impact is at the defensive end, just like last year. When Brandon Slater came off the bench last year in extended minutes, I mean, he just injected life into that Villanova defense. I mean, the guy's flying around, he's sliding, um, wasn't blocking that many shots, but he's changing the trajectory of shots. And, you know, they're going to need his defensive energy too. Yeah, I think that, that's a really good segue. Like, that was one of the things we wanted to talk about too. Obviously, defense for most of the year wasn't our strength. And it's kind of interesting. Obviously, Colin going down is a huge kind of net loss to the team. But defensively, it shifted some stuff around. And, you know, you put players who are, I'll say, you know, call it what it is like probably a little bit more athletic than Colin on the floor. And you could point to a few things towards the end of the year where you said, "Eh, maybe the defense is a little stronger, you know, potentially without Colin on the floor. Now Colin's back, obviously, you know, hopefully he's fully recovered. Maybe he ends up a half step slower. I I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case, but regardless, like we've got to get stronger on defense. How does that, how does Jay do that? How does this team improve defensively from where they were last year? Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you're unathletic on the perimeter, you're unathletic on the perimeter. (laughs) The only way to counter that is with strong team defense, with everyone out there on the perimeter working on the same line, the same accord. You know, after, you know, some of the losses last year, namely Creighton and St. Joe's, St. Joe's on the road and Creighton on the road. If I remember correctly, Jay Wright kind of just cited like, hey, we didn't have a full off season. We didn't really have time to, you know, do those defensive drills and double down on that, you know, as we usually do in the past. And I believe him. The guy hasn't really given me any reason not to, you know, since I've been <laughs> on this beat. And, you know, again, you know, with this team having a full off season to build that chemistry, to be able to, you know, double down on those defensive concepts and be on the same line, even with essentially the same personnel on the perimeter, I, I think they're going to be much improved simply because they've had more time to work on it. You know, once you get into season, you don't really have time to fix those defensive miscues. It's, it's far too late at that point. At that point, you, you are what you are and you just got to yeah. keep rolling. You know, Villanova's not going to have that disadvantage this offseason. Um, they have more time to work together. They've been together. And I think that cohesion will show. The, the defense is like such a critical point, and I'm glad Rob brought that up. The 
the if you look at Ken Palm, our defense was kind of like I don't know, sixtieth. I'm 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 guessing here. I'm not looking at Ken Palm directly, but I think it averaged out to about sixtieth with like a sharp improvement at the end of the season, um, which coincided. We can say coincidentally, causation, correlation, whatever it may be, um, with Colin going down. Uh, you know, I am of the perspective that we have to that that Jay's going to probably take a really strong view on defense this year. That maybe will fans will have to be patient on the offensive end. That this team might get it done ugly early, um, and then that'll pave way to do better offensively late. Um, the only team that I can think of, the only two teams, sorry, that I can think of that were just absolute offensive juggernauts from the day from day one that had success in the NCAA tournament under Jay's reign um, were 2006 and 2018. Um, and those teams just were so good offensively. And then they were able to get there defensively, like especially the 18 team kind of just like figured it out defensively late. They kind of turned on the Jets at the end. And I think a lot of people hope that the uh, that the um, that the 19 and 20 and 21 inter iterations of the team would would do the same. Um, sometimes they did a little bit, but not the same, not the level that they needed to. Uh, I I do think that it's gonna that that it's gonna team defense is gonna be so critical for this team. How do they switch? Do they get the switching early? They're bringing everyone back. The switching defense has to work. Now I'm curious because this dovetails into our next topic. Um, which is kind of talking a little bit about the rotation and the minutes allocation. Last year, Jay started, unsurprisingly, to anyone who follows the program. Uh, Colin, uh, uh, Justin, Jermaine, uh, um, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, and, uh, and Caleb Daniels. And if you follow Jay Wright at all over the last 15 years plus uh, 20 years of him being the head coach of Villanova. He always values experience. And even though Caleb, Caleb had been with the program for two years, but was a junior uh, at the redshirt junior at the time, like that wasn't a surprise as we got towards the end of the year, though, there were times where Antoine found his way into the starting lineup. Obviously when Colin and Justin were down, it was, you know, it got even more hokey than that. What do you think? Does, does Slater stay in the starting lineup because he brings that extra level, extra gear on defense? Or does Jay still feel the need to kind of go Caleb? Not that Caleb's a bad defender. Uh, he's foul. He's foul happy. But, um, but just, just a tad. Just, just a, a tad foul happy. But does Jay kind of preference, preference Brandon and kind of use Caleb as a microwave off the bench? What are you thinking about that? You know, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Right. I feel like Caleb's experience, like you said, and his and the threat of him offensively, you know, offsets, you know, some of the things Brandon may, you know, bring to the table in terms of starting. I guess it's like simply put, you want your best five guys out there on the floor to start the game. You know, if you bring Caleb off the bench, then, you know, what does that do to, you know, the minutes of someone like Antoine, right? You know, if you ask me right now, I think the starting lineup next year is going to be obviously Colin Gillespie, obviously Justin Moore, um, obviously Jermaine Samuels, and then I'm going to go with Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon. You know, yep. despite Caleb's shortcomings, he was still a starter all season long on a team that won – how many games did they win last year? It was a like bunch, a large 19, number. Yeah. 
on he was like 19 that, because it was a weird year. On a team that won a bunch of games, he was – it was just, you know, much like Eric. It was his first year, you know, playing with the program. Um, and there's some things he had to figure out. Um, but, again, here's another guy who's had an entire offseason to figure those things out. Um, well, in his case, you said that he hadn't didn't have a full offseason. He had some concussion – Right. issues he had some he had some um sorry he had some uh covid like covid related long covid issues um and so he had he had a little bit of to work through before he got fully ripe for the uh, off season yeah he had some things to work through but again you know like what coach Halkovich was saying, you know, another year in the program, you know, means another year more experience, you know, Jay Wright values experience. Why would he put a senior on the bench? Yep. I mean, look, if I had a gun to my head, I vote the same. I, I, I would vote the same way you did. I'm uh, trying to find a reason why he might start Slater instead. I obviously, obviously he's not going to mess with Colin uh, Jermaine and Justin. Those are three. I, obvious... I don't know. I, I did hear a rumor that Colin might come off the bench. Just kind, of, <laughs> kind of a down year for him. Just you know, don't, don't um, think it's good for the program. Um, but, but no, in all seriousness, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I'm just trying to find a reason why it might be different. Um, maybe he would preference defense, etc. Maybe a matchup situation um, could change things. Um, but obviously, then you know, you know, then if you wanted to go with a bigger lineup, um, Slater over over Daniels would be the pick. But I mean, look, I, I get it. I think a couple things about Daniels. I think the Villanova fan base got really, really over the top with him, like at least on Twitter, over the top, aggressively mad at at Caleb Daniels. The kid gave nothing but like a hundred and thirty percent every game sometimes to his detriment, um, you know, with some of those offensive fouls. Um, but, but that, and I mean, Rob and I happen to have met him. He's like maybe the nicest guy in the universe um, on top of all of that. So like program guy gets it, wants to be nothing, but, you know, not, wants to be nothing but great um, for the program and play great. Obviously in order to be effective, his shot has to go down, um, but he brings a lot to the table. He's, he's not bad defensively. Um, he's athletically gifted. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they find ways to involve him a little bit more, even when his shot isn't hitting. Uh, but I'm, but I, I am just calling out the opportunity potentially um, for Jay to go a little bit more of a defensive, bigger look. And Slater doesn't lose an inch on quickness and speed and athleticism. So I, you know, I'm just pointing that out. If I, I will say, if Slater's offense really develops this year then i think by the and end we're having of a different year, conversation we're having a different conversation and and, and and just one more thing on caleb you know like you said the guy works hard he plays hard you know he's a he's a person of character when i look at the some of the issues he had last season you know coaches said that COVID affected him you know in a different way than did anybody else on the team and you know basically when i, when I just look at caleb I see the issues in his game as quick fixes. You can cut down on turnovers. You can, you know, work on your body control and picking and choosing your spots in order to prevent offensive fouls. All those things are correctable. And when they are corrected, I mean, this kid could be a beast. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, early on the season, we thought, oh my God, like, holy crap, we hit the effing lottery with this kid. So if he can bring November, December, Caleb, I mean, that's a, I mean, you want to talk about something that will immediately increase this team's title chances. That's it. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about the upperclassmen. We've got some, a lot of, I mean, another great recruiting class Jay's bringing in this year. Um, One person who's kind of not a freshman is Trey Patterson amongst the others as well. Um, Curious who stands out to you? Who do you think is going to be really the one to watch? You know, we know Jay already runs a really tight lineup and we just ran through seven guys who six or seven guys who are going to take up the bulk of the minutes. Like who do you think cracks the lineup? Like who are you excited about? I'm excited about Trey Patterson, you know, the freshman who's not really a freshman. You know, he got the opportunity to arrive at Villanova early, get on campus, be with the team, learn the culture, you know, learn, you know, the ins and outs of, you know, what it takes to be a Villanova basketball player. And I think, you know, it's put him ahead of the curve, you know, when compared to his freshman, his true freshman, you know, counterparts. Um, There's a lot of love of Trey, you know, six, seven, can play inside and out. Um, Watched a lot of his tape at Rutgers prep. Um, He can shoot a little bit plays of energy and aggression and you know when we were talking about you know how can we how can Villanova fill the void you know in the paint this season I mean he's probably going to be a big reason why um you know from there I would say because of those paint issues a player like Nana Njoku has a chance to get on the floor early too now you know like I said he's a true freshman he hasn't had the you know same kind of experiences as Trey so far and you know we, we all know how Coach Wright Valley's experience. So, you know, I don't think that he'll go that deep in the bench unless he absolutely has to, um, you know, but if that's it, but if that is what it ends up being, I mean, Najoku, he's huge. He's a yeah. man child. He eats up space. Um, he has a high motor, um, was one of the best rebound rebounders in high school basketball. Um, and, you know, for a team that, you know, it's going to need some interior help, defensively and on the glass if you gotta play him you gotta play him um angelo breezy uh you know it was funny i was watching this film and i swear i was was like i was like this colin gillespie's film like what is this like i thought this was angelo breezy but uh you know he he brings a lot of the same you know things to the table as colin let's be real you know jay wright has a mold the guy has a mold you know um uh there, there, you got to think that there's probably no way he cracks the lineup though at nah. this point. I mean, just we're just I, I, too too deep in the backcourt. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Is think he so. a, is he a redshirt candidate? I, I believe so. Um, I I don't think. Uh, I, I think it would be unwise to you know burn a year of eligibility this year. You know, especially when the backcourt is so deep, and then you got the you know if you need if you need an extra point guard, you got Chris right. Totally. Um, but I, I I love Angelo's game. You know, he's he's a he's a Northern VA kid like me. You know, played against the same, a lot of the same high schools, you know, back in the day. Well, for me back in the day, for him in the more, you know, recent past. But um, big time shooter, takes care of the basketball, you know, has a level of, you know, toughness and grit that, you know, you find common in a lot of Villanova recruits. And I think that, you know, fans are going to be happy as he continues to develop. You know, he is the point guard of the future. In terms of a dark horse, you know, Trey Long Gino, right? He's a sniper, 
snipers are at a premium in college basketball. You, you can prove you can handle the physicality of the college game and knock that thing down at a high level and hold your ground defensively. You might steal some minutes here and there, especially, you know, if, you know, if guys like Caleb and Brian Antoine are, you know, struggling a little bit, right. Uh, Long Gino, six, five, unlimited range, you know, former football player, So, you know, former quarterback. So, you know, cerebral, um, I don't expect them to play much, but, you know, later in the season, Villanova gets in some injury, gets some injury issues in the backcourt. Um, you know, with his size and his toughness and shooting, his shooting ability, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he can steal some minutes, maybe. I, I am, I'm wondering that too. And it's funny, one of our readers or listeners, sorry, I should say, who I trust his opinion quite a bit. And I was also thinking this a little bit myself. I don't know, like Longino's body type, it's just general, like, demeanor about him just has like a toughness and a grit to the way he is he also seems like in a way like in a way similar to like bay um kind of has a chip on his shoulder that he wasn't like the most heralded guy coming into this class like like there's a, there's a little bit about him like bay kind of came in as a dark horse and then ended up being like the best of that class by far like yeah, does, that was that was wild actually. Does does Longino have a little bit of that in him? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean size wise, size wise, stature, etc. I don't know. I'm getting a lot of heart I, vibes. I was gonna him. say you're uh you're, you're giving Sadiq Bay was a physical specimen coming in as well yeah. too, which I don't know. Uh, you know, Lanchino is he he's definitely played quarterback, so he's got that physicality, but uh that Sadiq Bay build is is something else. <laughs> I like I like Longino a lot, but when I look at this class, I'm still impartial to Trey Patterson just because gotcha. I think he's more versatile, he can do a little bit more, play inside and out. Um, and you know, he probably has the quickest line, you know, to the starting lineup in the next couple of years, I would say maybe. Real, oh, real, real quick follow-up on that. How much of a difference does having that like semester or half a semester make as a, like, as a former player, you've been through that. Like you've seen that. Is that, a, is that a big leg up or a little leg up? Huge leg up, huge leg up. Like when I saw that Trey was enrolling early, I was like, wow, that's going to do wonders for this kid, especially in a program like Villanova, because, you know, when you first arrive on campus that summer before your freshman year begins, it's a whirlwind, man. It's still not, and it's still not even the true taste of what it's going to be like. Over the yeah. summer, you get your individual workouts in, you scrimmage, you take your summer classes. But when students arrive on campus during the fall, it's such a huge adjustment period. You know, there's so many new faces, having to, you know, make it on time to classes, you know, having to get used to full practices when NCAA allows you to work you know, longer when the NCAA allows coaches to work longer with their teams. Um, and, you know, you know, the upperclassmen are looking at the freshmen like, oh man, these guys got to learn the ropes. You know, we already know what you got to do. And it kind of, it kind of, in a way it slows you down from a team development standpoint, you know? So with yeah. Trey already, you know, with Trey being able to come on campus early to experience those things early, to be immersed in Villanova's system and culture early, it just puts him light years ahead of the game. So when he arrived on campus a couple weeks ago, he already knew what it was going to be like. He already knew what to expect. 
Um, you know, he was, you know, he was basically, I would imagine, moving and behaving like a veteran. Right. And I think in the long run, it's it's going to do nothing but good for him. I'm excited to see, like, just a straight up, just excited to see a picture or video of Patterson because I have to imagine that on top of all of that, nine months of Shaq fit has got to oh. have has <laughs> got to have a big yes. impact on him. Um, but. I want to touch one more thing. I want to talk schedule. I want to talk one more thing, touch on one more thing about this team. I can't remember a team that is a deep, that is as deep as this Villanova team in terms of just sheer number of scholarship capable of being on the court athletes as this team. And a lot of that has to do with the return of um, Samuels and Gillespie. And you tweeted out today, um, that data is probably not looking good to, uh, to, to be a factor on this year's team. Um, but with those two coming back, I, I just got to ask the question a little bit. Do we have like a potential chemistry issue because guys aren't getting minutes that thought they would get minutes? Like, how is this team going to like, what, what is the team, what is the program saying? What are, what are the guys saying in terms of expectations of, what role they're going to play on the team. You know, Jay Wright did tell me that he feels as if chemistry is going to be the biggest challenge for this group's success this season. But I don't think he meant that in terms of a player's getting along standpoint. I think he meant that just in a way, as like you said, you know, finding a way to get all these guys on the floor. For the freshmen who, who just came in, uh, you know, they're humble. They know what they signed up for. You know, they know it's going to be tough for them to get on the floor this year. But the team returns most of its core from last season, aside from Jeremiah Robson, right? I don't think Colin and Jermaine would have came back without talking to their team first. Them coming back indicates to me that they have unfinished business as a group. It indicates to me that they're coming back to school to win a national championship. And you can't do that with everyone on board, you know, in terms of playing time, everyone for more or less is going to play the exact same role they did last year. Right. You know, unless, like I said, unless someone like Brian Antoine explodes or like, you know, or Caleb. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Or Caleb Daniels proves he needs to be out there longer. It's a good problem to have. These, you know, from everything I understand, these guys love each other. They, they're spending time with each other. Um, you know, they're a team and, you know, one of the truest senses of the word, you know, and I don't think there's animosity, you know, from a guy like Justin Moore, like, oh, man, yeah. this is supposed to be my team this year. You guys are back. I don't think that, you know, from a conversation I had with Justin, they're allowing him to grow as a leader and come into his own. And they're not stunting his growth there they embrace it because the more leaders you have the better what i'm saying is villanova has a lot of good problems to have yeah you know and i think that when you have a bunch of guys who buy in who know what their role is who are all on the same page the playing time all that stuff works itself out because everyone has a common goal in mind and that's all that matters the, the the point on the point there, I, I totally get it. 
you know, obviously I think the biggest challenge is Jay and his minutes allocation. I, I, I just, he has never been a guy who plays more than eight and a half guys. And that's a maximum. Like oftentimes, like he's at seven and a half guys going into the tournament. And he's like, I'm riding or dying with this, with this group. And like, to, you know, to hell with everyone who, who thinks differently. I don't care. Um, so, you know, that's obviously going to be an interesting situation to see play out. It's obviously good that the guys want to operate as a team. And like, I don't doubt that for a second that they support each other, love each other, etc. Obviously when the game, you know, when the ball tips, if you will, like, and the game starts and the game starts on rolling and stuff like that, you know, what guy thinks, you know, oh man, like, if he just put me in, I would have changed the game in this way or the other. Like I, th- some of these machinations have to work themselves out right. in a weird way. I'm almost like, I almost have a, 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 a slight sense of, obviously I want him to be healthy and I, I, I feel crappy that he's not healthy, but a small sense of relief that like, you know, okay, Antoine is going to have a, a little bit of a recovery period to get back in so that other guys have a chance to play early. And obviously he's not going to be expecting now because of his injury to be like day one, I'm getting 20 minutes. So like, you know, because of that, I'm, I'm hopeful that that might help things a little bit, but man, there's just a lot to manage there with that, with, with, with this roster. And there certainly is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough having so much town, right? (laughs) Um, All right. With that said though, with that said, though, I want to talk a little bit about schedule, outlook, et cetera. I, I gave you a little bit of crap on the two losses. But look, reality of the situation is that Villanova has scheduled by a wide margin, in my view, the toughest and the best um, um, pre, uh, non-conference schedule that I can remember. Only rivaled, really, in my book, by the 2016 team, and we know how that ended. Um, so, you know, I... I you wrote a great article, a great piece on that. You know, give me a little bit of more, just give me a little bit of your flavor as to like, what, why do you think certain losses may happen and, and, and where do you think we might get bit um, early in the season? The schedule's a doozy, man. Um, but I like the aggressiveness of it because at times, you know, last year during Villanova's non-conference schedule, I felt like they – really didn't play anyone. And then when conference play rolled around, you kind of saw a little bit of that, right? But, I mean, the schedule stacked, right? I look at that, you know, the first big one being that November 12th game against UCLA out in L.A. I mean, it's a winnable game for the Wildcats. They have the experience where they shouldn't be afraid to, you know, play anywhere. But the fact remains is that game is still on the road. And it's going to be in a hostile environment of a Bruins team that's fresh out of, off a Final Four run that's looking to prove that last year's results weren't a fluke. You know, Villanova coming into the house, they're going to get all they can handle. Um, we talked about some of Villanova's defensive issues on the perimeter. Um, UCLA has, I mean, they're stacked at guard too. And they have some, you know, and as we saw in last year's NCAA tournament, they have some bigs coming back who they play big and they play physical and, I give Villanova some issues as well. So, I mean, it's a winnable game. Like I said, Villanova, their experience, they've been here before. But in that environment, you know, against a team like that, I I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they walk away with a loss. 
it's also it's also game two right it's the second game of the season like you're still working out a ton of kinks you don't now necessarily know how the pieces fit together not everything's quite clicking so yeah I, i'm with you on this one i that one would not shock me at all if it's a loss at the same time too if it's a win great I, I don't know. I try not to read too much into game two. I view UCLA that game, and Rob and I will get into this on future podcasts, but I view that game as a race to like 56, 60 points. Between Mick Cronin and Jay Wright, those guys love, like, you don't have enough rocks to fight with um, between those two guys. So that's going to be just an ugly, ugly game that'll come down probably to the final five minutes, and I see UCLA pulling away at home. I, I kind of tend to agree. A little bit of firepower. I don't think it's a fluke. They had a really good recruiting class. There was a team that kind of underperformed early in the season um, and then kind of got it together late. So, like, they wound up in the tournament. Um, But they probably should have been a higher seed had they performed to their uh, capability earlier on in the year. Oh, no. I get it. They shouldn't have been a higher seed. I think they were seed exactly where they should have. Uh, I used to cover University of Arizona. And, you know, so, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, the Pac-12 and the Bruins. And it's, I mean, last year's team was basically the same team, you know, I covered when the Wildcats, when the Arizona Wildcats played UCLA. And I just didn't think they were that good, you know, and that kind of showed, you know, throughout the majority of last season. But, you know, the the funny thing about the, the funny thing about basketball is the only thing that matters is when you get hot, hot, it's getting hot in March, you know, playing your best basketball in March and UCLA was able to do that. Um, I think what makes them a threat next year or this season is the confidence they have now. Hmm. Now they know what it's like to win at a high level, what it takes. That stuff makes a difference. Once you get a taste of that, you know, it it, kind of becomes muscle memory at that point. Right. So yeah, I think, I think the Bruins are going to be, you know, a challenging team this year and Villanova is going to have his work cut out for it on November 12th. Hmm. Cool. Well, they could have given Baylor a better fight than Gonzaga did. And then, you know, kind of kind of looking at the rest of the schedule, I mean, the game against Tennessee on neutral court, Tennessee has a freshman point guard who, you know, although he's talented, has a lot of things to figure out. And then, like, you know, we were just talking about how that's game two for Villanova. That's probably going to be like game three or four for Tennessee, right? Um, you know, Colin Gillespie's going to eat him alive. It'll be great for you guys. But um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of new moving pieces on that Tennessee team. A lot of inexperience, and you know, Rick Barnes, you know, never knows what the heck's going on with his rotation. So I think Villanova wins that game on a neutral court. Mohegan Sun, you know, in the next round of that, North Carolina or Purdue. I think a better draw for Villanova would be North Carolina. I just think they match up better compared to that Purdue team that's absolutely huge. Like, I think they have, like, three seven-footers who are, like, that's highly productive. That's what they always do. Every <laughs> every understand. year, like, that, every year, Painter has give... – it's unreal. It's unreal. What the fuck is in the water up there? I don't understand. He just goes on it. I feel like – I feel like Matt Painter goes on – he tells his, like, scouting department, he does, like, a filter on his Excel spreadsheet. He's, like, only, like, greater than seven-foot. Okay. We've got this many people. Go find seventy-five percent of them and talk to them and bring them. But back. white have to be white. <laughs> Gotta be white. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So yeah, um, I think the Tar Heels are 
a slightly better draw in terms of terms of like matching up man to man. You know, that Purdue team, they're big on the perimeter, they're big in the paint. I think that one can get ugly for the Wildcats if they're not careful. Big five, I mean No, no. We can pass. <laughs> yeah. pass. Pass skip. I want to talk about Cuse because because of what I viewed as candidly, even though I all respect to him, he worked his ass off, etc. Addition by subtraction in terms of Swider moving on to greener pastures. And oh, by the way, addition by addition for him, um, because there's the oh, zone great is a perfect, fit. great fit, great fit for Swider. I was like, Syracuse is the perfect landing spot for Cole Swider. He should um, have gone to Syracuse out of yes, high from the get go, from yes. the onset, he should have gone to Syracuse. Yeah. So, like, I can see him going bombs away against us. But, like, one of the things I like about playing Syracuse, and I wish we do it every year, I wish we could play a, a zone team like Syracuse and, and a pressing team like um, Patino's old Louisville teams every year because I think you just need to get that look uh, to, to help you be ready for March because teams throw every weird thing at you when it comes to March. So I'm excited to play against the zone, win or lo- win or lose. Uh, but like, I, I still don't see a loss to Cuse there. I don't either. Um, you know, I like that backcourt of Buddy Bayheim and was it Gerard? Gerard, I think I like them. Um, but that team lost a lot this offseason. I mean, what else do they got? Right. Um, I think man for man, Villanova has you know way more depth and just on paper way more talented. Um, you know, pretty much a Syracuse home game. So they'll be at a disadvantage from that standpoint, but it's not too far from the main line either. So, you know, should be pretty even in MSG that night. And I just think that overall Villanova's talent, you know, helps them pull away early. Nice. I like that. Big fan of that perspective. Um, and then, and then obviously you got the the reigning national champions, the Baylor um, Bears. obviously they've lost some talent but man that's still a program that's a really good program yeah this isn't this isn't the same uh Baylor team it was it was last year you know Davion Mitchell Maceo Teague Jared Butler and Mark Vidal won't be walking out the locker room thank god for Villanova's (laughs) concern thank god but you know Adam Flagler's back he lit Villanova up in the in the NCAA tournament and, you know, Matthew Mayer, you know, you know, he, he brings a lot of the same stuff to the table as, you know, a guy like Jermaine Samuels. That's going to be a good matchup to watch. I, I would imagine that that is the matchup, right, between those two. Um, you know, Flagler can, you know, do a little bit of everything. He's kind of a unicorn. I like him. He's good. And, you know, front court's pretty much intact with um, – I'm just going to call him Jonathan. I can't pronounce his last name. I'm not going to try. And uh, – and Flo Thamba. So, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be straight on the inside. Flo Thamba, great name. And they got a great they got a great freshman class coming in. Um, you know, and I think one of them is gonna miss some time. I think I remember seeing that. I don't remember which one it is. Uh maybe Langston Love. Maybe it's Langston Love who's injured, it's gonna miss some time. But you know, and then on top of all that, you got the Arizona transfer, James Akinjo, and that boy can go, let me tell you. That boy can go. Oh my god! I totally forgot that they got a kid. Oh wow, that's yeah. a blast from the past! Holy cow! I totally forgot that they had a Kinjo. Yeah. I liked him. I liked him at Georgetown. But like overall, you know, 
you know, when I talk to these Villanova players, you know how they like to play at Humble. You know, it's all about Villanova basketball for a full 40 minutes. This game is just like the others, but nah, nah. At the end no, of the day, it won't be the same. Yeah. <laughs> They're still competitors at the end of the day. This is a revenge game, although this win would not result in a, you know, trip to the Elite Eight. It is a revenge win. And oh. although this is still a solid Baylor team, I think they lost a lot of talent. Villanova is basically bringing everyone back, and Colin Gillespie is going to have something to say about it this time around. Yep. You know, they're going to be they're going to be going down the Baylor. Always a tough environment to play, but you know, I I think there's a lot a lot of pride on the line for Villanova, and I can completely see them, you know, walking out of Waco with a win. Slater's going to be asking himself, how many posters do I have to put oh, up to, to to put these guys fully away? So true, man. That was still a highlight. One, one more, year. one more. We could have done it. <laughs> um, all right, we're, we're kind of at the at the end here, but I just wanted to ask, kind of like, okay, you know, Villanova. You said in your article the experience, the what, everything they had coming back, the backcourt makes Villanova a title contender. Realistically, what do you think is the te- is it is the team stealing a title or is it? And forget like just like the random getting super hot in March thing. I mean like. Ships on the table here. Where, where do you think Villanova? Where do you think Villanova winds up? Four Sweet Sixteen. I think the ce- the ceiling is Final Four. I mean, just like what I wrote, top to bottom. You know, you're not going to find many teams around college basketball this kind of experience, this kind of blend of, you know, veteran and youth talent, this kind of coaching. You know, with 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 this kind of with this kind of pedigree. You know, heading into the season. Um, I just think that makes Villanova one of the teams to beat. Um, they should enter the season as a top 10 team, let alone top five. And really this team's biggest enemy is going to be itself. They have all the talent to get through this difficult non-conference schedule with two losses. But when I look at the rest of the Big East, it's like, not a da- it's not it's a down year a little bit. There's like no loser this way. A lot of it. Like maybe one or two losses on an off night. Villanova is going to run through the Big East. How good this team's going to be is going to be based on their ability to make adjustments. Villanova, they should be a Final Four team. They have the experience to do so. And, you know, this year is as good as a chance as any for this program to cut down the nets in the first week of April. Is there one player who, if this player were to just take a leap, this team automatically goes from like, okay, you're thinking Elite Eight, Final Four level team to they're going to win. If you had to name one one player. I think it's Eric Dixon. Yeah. I think it's Eric Dixon. You know, a lot's going to be expected of him this year. A lot, man. A lot's going to be on his shoulders. Um, if this team struggles inside, he's going to get a lot of the blame. Mm-hmm. But he, I think he's talented. I think he's capable of it. And if everything I'm hearing this offseason is true, I think he's going to step up to the plate. Awesome. CJ, really appreciate you coming on here with us. This has been a really good breakdown of, of kind of what to look forward to. Um, I hope you'll join us midseason. Um, love to kind of catch up with you as we kind of duck and dip through this season and, and figure out like exactly, okay, now that we've seen some games, where do we stand? I would love to have you back on to do a, to do a midseason kind of recap and 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 outlook for the rest of the season but thanks so much for coming on and spending so much time with us today really appreciate it hey thanks for having me man i want to hop on the pod for a while took a year it took a year but 
glad to have you we had some things to sort out on our end but i appreciate it and thank you and i'm looking forward to having you back on thanks to our listeners uh, for listening uh today um we'll be back with a couple episodes before the start of the regular season um and and so look out for us all october uh we got we got a revised social media, a revived social media plan um, to help to help get you aware of all our episodes coming out. Um, and we got a great team on board with us here. Um, so if you're interested in advertising with the Full 40 or if you're interested in donating to the Full 40, we will be very appreciative of that. Um, we don't make money. Uh, Rob and I do not make money on this podcast. We're just looking to pay the bills um, and bring great content to Villanova fans. So thanks again to CJ Holmes from The Athletic uh, for joining us today. And as always, let's go Nova. Let's go Nova.